0: And tonight, because we have the time and because it's only a four-chapter book, I'd like to perhaps read the first chapter and then kind of develop the uh, preface, the context, and so forth. And then we'll read through the entire book, kind of just to get a little bit of the, of the pulse of it. So read with me the first chapter, if you would. Uh, and, and then again, my goal from that point will be giving us a little bit of history, how it connects with the book of Acts and then, oh, and then read through straight through the book at the end, hopefully with the idea that we would gravitate to some deeper meaning in it. Chapter 1, Philippians 1.1 1, 1 says this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to the saints, all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as this is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me in, uh, of grace. God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affections of Jesus Christ. From this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happen to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, well, what then? That in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I will rejoice. I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together in the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you so much for the beautiful gift of your presence, for the sweet power of your word. And for the way tonight, we are going to bathe in it how you intend tonight to just minister to us profoundly. And let us tonight, Lord, let us sit at your feet as Mary did, choosing the greater service, the one thing required. May we tonight bathe in you. May we enjoy the sweetness of your fellowship And enjoy the fellowship with each other that you tell us. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. So may we dwell together tonight at your feet. Speak to us and minister, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Let the Bible truly be your answer for all things. It was 356 B.C. when Philip, the king of Macedon, established the town in his own name, Philippi. It is on the foot of Mount Orbelos, which later they would discover was right at the cusp of some gold mines. Literal. Gold mines. It was in discovering that that the Romans would take great interest in it, in, and conquered in 168 B.C. Now, understand Julius Caesar, if you will, the original Caesar, who had been murdered, by the way, well, he'd been murdered by two men, basically Marcus Brutus, Cassius Longus, uh, Longinus. Longinus, and, and, and what had happened is, is that the two men that went in hot pursuit of Julius Caesar's murderers, that of Mark Antony. And of Octavian found these murderers and then disposed of those murderers at the town Philippi. Now, the way that they had gone into this is that they called Legion Reserve 28. That was at one time Julius Caesar's sort of secret service, his hidden guard, his praetorian guard. And what they had done is they had drafted these older men, but they were fighters, and they were proud of Rome, and they were deeply, in essence, in allegiance with Julius Caesar. And when they had been drafted, though they were older men, they came ready to fight. And what they had been promised is if they left the comforts of the place that they had lived, and were willing to take this battle on for a small period of time, the victory they were sure would be granted. The result is that they would be given the town of Philippi as a consequence or as a reward. So when Octavian then, and then Mark Antony then, defeats this, these two men, by the way, for what it's worth, Marcus Brutus and Cassius Longinus, what had happened ultimately is that Octavian will become then the Caesar. And when he does, he calls the city Colonia Victris Philippensium, or if you will, the colony of Philippi. The victorious colony of Philippi. Why? Because at this point now, a town that had only had in essence three, I'm sorry, two thousand people now becomes a town that is the town that is most proud of their Roman citizenship. These older men stepped in and they took down these people who had taken down Julius Caesar and they were very proud of that victory. As a result of that, they made this town as much like Rome as they possibly could. So much so, ultimately, that they would call the town a little Rome or a tiny Rome. If you hadn't been to Rome and you couldn't get to Rome, perhaps you could get to Philippi at the cusp of the Aegean Bay that's sort of shaped like Mary Tyler Moore's haircut. And at the top of it there, you could experience at least a little bit of Rome and feel like you'd been there. Very different, by the way, than here in England. Some of you have been to Little Venice. I don't know why in the world they call it that. There's nothing like Venice in it at all, other than there's some water occasionally here and there. It was overseen, by the way, by two Dumviri. And Dumviri, if you will, were magistrate military officers sent specifically from Rome. So by the time that this is being written to Philippi, The town itself was a garrison. More than just a colony, it was a garrison. And what that means is, it was a town where you took your retired soldiers and you sent them to go in in, and retire, to spend the rest of their life. Could there be a city outside of Rome that would be more proud of Rome, more content with being a citizen more proud of the fact they had surrendered their own glories for a greater gain than this city. In all of that, Paul will seize upon that history and the way that he writes Philippians. The letter that he writes will speak about our citizenship being in heaven and how important that is. And the example of Jesus and Paul himself surrendering their old glories for a battle to be fought for the ultimate victory for which they would receive a greater gain. Now, the way that Philippi shows up is in Acts chapter 16. And here's the way it kind of works. Paul, prior to the name Saul, had been at one point the sidekick of a man named Barnabas. But after Cyprus and after their first trip together, there's a big disagreement over John Mark, who happens to be this Barnabas's cousin. See, John Mark had somehow went back in the middle of this mission of their first trip. They had gone through the Isle of Cyprus, from which, by the way, Barnabas was from. But then had made their way up into Turkey. And the moment they made their way up, uh, made their way up into Turkey, John Mark was gone. We do not read why. But one thing's for sure. Paul is not happy about it. And the moment we get north, then, it will always be Paul and Barnabas not Barnabas and Saul anymore and as they head north from that point on there will always be in essence there was a man there was an assistant and an apprentice as they return back to this the sending church what was in Antioch uh, Syria and this disagreement happens they part ways and Barnabas does take his cousin John Mark and they head over to Cyprus where they had been Paul on the other hand Well, he's going to do it a different way. Paul is going to take a new guy, Silas. Silas, by the way, means woody. So if you can imagine, there the two of them are heading over through Turkey going, you've got a friend in me, right? Well, that's kind of the idea here. So there's Paul, which means least, and woody heading their way up. As they head into the area of Turkey, they meet a kid. And by a kid, we assume him to be a teenager, And this teenager's name is Timothy. He comes from good stock. Mom's a Jew, but dad's a Greek. And he comes from some biblical training. Paul would make mention of mom and grandma, Lois and Eunice. Somewhere in all of it, Paul had been in that area last time. The last time he was there on his first trip, he had been stoned, apparently, either to death or near to death. The disciples had gathered around him, prayed, and he had gotten back up, went back in the city and got Barnabas. Now, on this particular trip, I mean, the reason I say that is that was what happened the last time he was there. Who wants to join that guy's mission trip the next time he comes around? Well, Timothy does. And because Paul knows it's hard to reach the Jewish people, he actually circumcises this teenage kid, Timothy, who is, by the way, his name means precious. So we've got, it's least Woody, you've got a friend, and Precious, that's the three. And now Paul is the leader, and with that he has Silas as a, an assistant, and he has Timothy as an apprentice. And with that, what will happen is Paul then, gathering and picking up this new crew, you'd think that the guy, I mean, this is a second mission trip, we call it the sophomore trip, but usually that's where you kind of think you have it down, but God's got a whole new thing to throw out at you. So here's the deal. Paul is now in the center of uh, Turkey, and he knows what God's called him to do. They're called to preach the gospel, and they're going to go plant churches. Now, they have stayed up to this point entirely in the Middle East. Keep that in mind. The Turkey is in the Middle East. Now, with that, Paul wants to go north. We read that Paul had intended to go north. Due north, by the way, is the area today of Istanbul. But he is forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do so. And God, in his brilliance, does not let us know how. Because the moment if God had said the Holy Spirit restricted them this way, we'd have a new doctrine off of it. What's clear is the Holy Spirit said no, and they weren't going. So instead of going due north, they want to go due west. And that would be the area of Asia Minor, or in, in, in essence, the area of Ephesus. But we read again, they're prevented by the Holy Spirit from doing so. Now, I'd like you to consider the fact that, imagine if you're Timothy. When you're a teenage kid, you just got circumcised by a guy that got stoned to death the last time he was in town. He's grabbed you, and you've gone on this mission trip, and the guy can't even seem to figure out where in the world you're supposed to go. He tries, oh, we're not going there. And can I just say, that is the world of mission. If you really want to be have an organized life, be an accountant. Do not be a missionary. It will never be defined. I mean, you'd like it to be to some degree, and the moment you think you got structure, something happens to kind of earthquake the whole thing. Well, so hear me on this. As that is the case, Paul, not not being able to go north, not even be able to go west, goes northwest and winds up in the coastal town of Troas. And it's there we read, by the way, that he sees a vision of a Macedonian man. Now understand, Macedonia now is west of Turkey, and that is the area of Europe. Before this point, the mission had never gone to Europe. So the man is pleading, he's begging. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a grown man beg, but it is a weird dynamic. It is a humbling and weird and awkward experience for anybody who's in the environment. Well, just the same, he says, please, please come to Macedonia. He gets that vision at night, and Paul says, immediately, we. And all of a sudden, there's an interesting addition, change in the tone of the book of Acts, because at that point, there is a we, us. Which tells us the writer, Luke, now has made his way onto the page. He is not—he's no longer writing from the third person. He is actually writing whilst on the trip now. This is his experience. Now it's his own travel journal. And now he says, we immediately concluded that it was time to go and preach the gospel there. So immediately we got up and went. Now that's fun because I get the idea that Paul's like, hey let's go north, oh sorry the Holy Spirit won't let us, hey let's go west, sorry the Holy Spirit won't let us. And what I love about Paul is that he never stops. You know, it isn't like, well fine then, if I can't go north and I can't go, you know, west, I'll just not go anywhere. Oh, he just keeps trying. And as he keeps pushing forward, the Lord makes a way. And what happens is ultimately he's like, he gets his vision in the middle of the night. How do you want to be Timothy? And he's like, wake up, wake up. The Lord sent a Macedonian, a vision of a Macedonian man. And now we need to go to Macedonia. And you're like, now? Couldn't God have given you the vision at noon? Why now? But up we go. And off we head, looking for a Macedonian man. So we traveled, but we bounced through areas, Amphipolis, Neapolis, and so forth, and make our way then onto the mainland of Macedonia, and we wind up in this garrison in Acts 16. A garrison, I remind you, a place where everybody's very proud to be Roman. Very proud of our citizenship. And imagine, imagine putting a bunch of old soldiers. Imagine, if you will, putting, just designating some place in the middle of England someplace south of Manchester, we're going to call it, you know, Glory Days, England. And you stick all your old RAF pilots together in that place. Could you imagine what it would be like? Imagine them comparing scars and tattoos and stories and war. I mean, that's the, that's the environment of Philippi. So you would imagine if there's one place you would expect to find a Macedonian man, Philippi would be a good guess. Since it's you would expect it to be a lot of guys. But what we read is Paul doesn't seem to encounter any of them. I mean imagine he's looking for a Macedonian man and he winds up at the river, traditionally where women go and wash their clothes, and what happens is he goes and he meets a woman there. And imagine again being Timothy, going, What in the world is this? Where's the Macedonian man? Who is this guy, Paul? Does he even know what he's doing? And so all of a sudden, Paul starts shearing, this girl, by the way, we had worship God. Her heart gets open to God, uh, to this gift of Jesus Christ. She accepts the gift of Jesus Christ. She's a seller of purple. Can you imagine? Well, understand, purple was a very, very difficult color to get. Remember, everything was, was dyed naturally. And the way that you got purple was from a particular shell of a particular mollusk, which, by the way, you'd imagine for a Jewish person that'd be a little bit rough since they don't handle a lot of shellfish. Just the same. So because it was such a rare thing, a person who sold that, in essence, it was like today, maybe like somebody who sells Rolex watches. I mean, somebody that obviously the one thing that they deal with, their entire clientele is very wealthy. And so she turns to him and says, why don't you stay with us? Now, understand, this gal is not like she has like a one bedroom flat somewhere. And she's like, come on, Paul, why don't you come stay with me? Paul's got a traveling group with him and she's got a big house. And as as her heart gets open to the Lord, what happens is she's like, you know, you could use a headquarters. And it becomes, think about this, it becomes the headquarters for the first Christian church in Europe. Philippi is the first Christian church in Europe, and it was started at a girl's house. Ladies, how do you feel? How do you like me now? You know? And here's a gal, and it's like, and it's, it's cool, cause Paul says, no, no, and she insisted, and he's like, okay. And so they go. And you'd think things are great. And again, the problem is we're looking for a Macedonian man, and we haven't met one yet. Not at least in the text. This is Philippi. This is important, because in the beginning, the church seemed to be a bunch of gals. Can I just dare say that of all the letters you will read, it is the most feminine letter Paul writes. There's so much of this, my longing in my heart for you that we read in this. Now, Paul is clearly hurt when he writes to, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. But this one, there is a lot of, in of fact, he mentions women by name in chapter 4. And he says, tell those girls to get along. Ladies, you wouldn't understand any of that, right? But, I mean, they're just kind of being catty with each other. Well, that's the idea here. Now, follow me on this. So Paul goes back to, this, to the river where the gals go. And now there's a time of prayer there. And as they're praying, well, there's this particular gal there who's possessed. And she's a fortune teller. I don't know, tarot cards, reading your bones, tea leaves, whatever, you get the idea. And it tells us that she made her masters quite a bit of profit by this particular trade she had. So, you know, when people say, you know, fortune telling, oh, that's all just a bunch of hooey. Or is it? Could it be a demon influence thing? And I'm not saying it always is, but I'm saying in this case, it clearly was. Now, listen, listen, listen closely. She follows Paul and Silas around, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God telling you the way of salvation. That sounds like a pretty lovely thing to be told, don't you think? Now, it isn't like what she's saying is a lie. However, please hear me in this. As this continues, finally, Paul gets fed up with it. Listen closely to this statement. She says, These men are servants of the Most High God telling you the way of salvation. Let me ask you, where is the focus of that statement? Where's the focus? It's on Paul. It's on Silas. Did you notice that? It's really subtle. It's so subtle we can miss it. But notice what she does, because I believe it's a classic tool of the enemy. It's like these guys, who are they? I mean, who are they trying to make the focus on? Who's Paul and Silas? Who, who do you think they're trying to make the focus on? On Jesus. And so here they are going, you know, look, at you need to accept Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. He rose again. That's the whole focus. And this gal is going, these guys are servants of the Most High God. I mean, it's still the same lingo, Most High God telling you the way of salvation, you know. But she's not saying, you know, hey, so you know, don't even look at them. Listen to their message and give their Christ. Because the point is she's just suddenly trying to get your attention on them. And it's so easy to do this. And I watch guys get taken out in the ministry for this very reason. What happens is they kind of go, whoa, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, I'm a servant of the most high God don't mess with me man I'm a, I'm a servant of the most high God pity the demon who wants to take on this you know. and I hear this kind of craziness and the point is funny because the focus isn't supposed to be on you it's not that you know whatever your name is power hour it's about Jesus or it's stupid can I just say it that way it's just about Jesus or it's stupid and so Paul finally has had enough And she's following him around for days on this. And it's like in the beginning, it's like, I I wonder how long Paul just kind of put up with it. And he's like, well, you know, she's kind of saying, she's telling the truth, you know. But then it's like, wait a minute. This is really not getting to focus on Jesus. It's just pulling the focus off of Jesus. Right. In the name of Jesus Christ, you're done. Out. Listen, the moment this girl is delivered from demon possession, her owners go mental. Because, see, she was worth a lot to them when she was evil. Some of you have that testimony. You know that. You know what it was like to be really, really liked by people before you accepted Jesus Christ. And then those same people look at you. And and here's the crazy part. They look at you with a genuine concern. Right? I mean, look at you and they're like, you know, you were okay when you were on drugs. I mean, I have parents that would call me, you know, my, my, my son, what have you, you brainwashed my son. I'm like, well, did he have a dirty brain? Did it need to be washed? You know, it was all right before when we were smoking pot together, and it was okay when we were running from the law together, but now he's a religious nut. What have you done to him? And I'm like, can you hear yourself? Really? And I'm the enemy. And that's the way they work. And they'll look at you and they'll be like, you know what, 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 what did you do? What, what, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I'm not intoxicating myself. I'm not sleeping around. I'm not wondering weird kind of disease I'm going to have next. I'm really a mess now, huh? I've never been happier. I'm full of joy. My feet are on the ground. I'm like, I know who I am in Christ. I've been washed totally clean. I'm saturated in his grace. Yeah, things are really bad. And so these people, listen, these people gather up a crowd and they take Paul. They personally lay hands on him and get him and bring him before the magistrates. And listen, what they, listen to what they say. It's subtle. These men, being Jews, trouble our city. Now, remind you, the city we're in is what city? Philippi. And Philippi is a garrison, which means it's full of what? Soldiers. Proud of their Romanhood, Proud of their Romanness. And as that's the case, Jews aren't actually real cool in a Roman Empire because they're the only people that refuse to have busts of Caesar, statues of Caesar put up in their temple. They're stubborn and unyielding to the Roman ways. It'll talk about it, it actually talks, Josephus, one of the uh, historians of the day, talks about it saying the only city of all the Roman cities ever conquered, that, refu- that there was like, it's the three things that were so amazing about this city, according to Josephus. One is that it had this giant seven and a half story temple in the middle of it. The second, that there was a day that nobody worked on. And the third is that in that temple, you could not find a single statue. This is the only one, the only Roman city like that. So the reason I say that is, is that when that happens, these people are Jewish and they're troublemakers. You already know that. And these people are the worst of them. They're like the bad Jews of the bad Jews. And it's what happens is they take these guys and they start beating them. And then they throw them in prison. You know where you got thrown? I mean, imagine this. If you're Paul and you're Silas, we don't read where Timothy is. Maybe he was a kid, so they just kind of disqualified him for the moment. But they kind of look at understand, the reason why you got arrested was because you cast a demon out of a girl that was possessed by hell. Now, is there any part of you would think, God, really? No, not for these guys. It says, but at midnight, these guys were praying and singing hymns. What kind of hymns do you think they were singing? Like, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I mean, do you think that's where they're going with it? Apparently not. Because it says, and the prisoners were listening. They threw them in the inner prison. The inner prison, the prison is shaped like a donut. In the middle is where you scoop all the poop, and that's where they dropped them. The good news, though, I mean, we can agree that's bad news because they fastened their feet into stocks just to make it worse. But is that they had center stage for all the other prisoners. Every prisoner got a good seat, if you will, for the concert. And at that point, God does the original jailhouse rock. And it doesn't just say that he rocks the, the prison, but he rocks the foundations of the prison. You know why that's different? Because when you rock the foundations of something, you can't rebuild it. And all of the prison doors fly open. Listen, these guys, and understand Roman prison is not like an English prison where life is actually, if you're a fruit flying, like, you know, you have life in prison, that's six years, and then you get released. There, you're in a prison holding cell until they kill you. Basically, it's just a place where you wait to die. So with that in mind, keep this in mind. Every one of those guys, in essence, think of it as you're on death row with these guys. Now, the prison has been completely shattered, if you will, where you run. And yet, every one of those prisoners run to Paul and Silas. The jailer, realizing that this had happened, wakes up. He'd been sleeping, but an earthquake tends to wake you up. right running. And at this point, he's about to kill himself. He's about to kill himself because if he loses one prisoner, Rome will torture him to death in its stead. So as a result of that, Paul says, whoa, 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 don't hurt yourself. They're all right here in the poop hole with me. Because somehow they thought that the freedom that Paul possessed was greater than anything outside those walls. And at that point, then, he gets an escort. The jailer pulls these guys out, pulls them to his house, rinses off their wounds. And then they all get saved. The jailer and his family. Okay, here's the funny part. What gender do you think the jailer is? I have a feeling we found our Macedonian man. I mean, it had been women, 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 jailer. Would you have thought, well, I'm going to need to get beat up, thrown in a poop hole, have God rock the whole place for me to get my Macedonian man? But that's the way it works. And it says, by the way, please hear me on this. He and his household believed. He and his household were baptized. He and his household were saved. It does not say he was saved or he believed and his household was baptized and saved. The reason I say that is there are some people who teach, but it is not in Scripture that if the father believes his whole household saved, God is not into group reservations, beloved. He calls his sheep by name. You have a choice to make each one of you individually for your own. So hear me in this. Paul then gets escorted once they realize, oh, my goodness, this guy actually was a Roman citizen. Now you in trouble because you beat a, a Roman citizen without due without due course. And with that in mind, that means they all could have been beat. So they kind of come with their tail between their legs and like, excuse me, but can would you please leave our city? Paul says, how about a little parade? And he gets this royal escort out of the city. He goes, oh, but we need to make a stop first. And where does he stop? Lydia's house, which, might I remind you, is church. Imagine all the saints that were there, brand new believers that were all freaked out and nervous. They know, listen, if any town knows what soldiers do to, to, uh, to prisoners, it's got to be Philippi. They know how you treat prisoners. So I would imagine. And they watched Paul beat up really bad. And the reason I say that is, is that when Paul comes in, imagine, no, he's still really beat up. He's like, can you guys imagine this is what would happen? I'm getting a royal escort out of town. Come on, Timothy. Let's go. Come on, Silas. Let's go. And that's the beginning of the church. Now, Paul will, track, will, will kind of travel back there on his next trip. But you can imagine he isn't going to spend an awful lot of time there. Things were a little bit rough there. As a matter of fact, what Paul would say, as he actually writes later, for what it's worth, in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, You guys know how spitefully we were treated in Philippi. So Paul's background was in this. He's like, hey, you guys in Thessalonia, you guys. And by the way, that's just, by the way, kind of due west on that same coast. He's like, you guys know how bad it was. Because when Paul showed up in Thessalonica, which will be next, he was still in bad shape. By Acts 20, again, he'll stop there just in essence to celebrate Passover. And then he'll head to Greece. And as he heads to Greece, he's just going to sail from Greece back to Antioch. But he finds out that there's a plot to take his life. So he goes back through up to Macedonia and sails from Philippi. And that's kind of his experience there. Now, listen, a couple quick things. And we're just going to read through the book because I really expect God to really minister to us in it. The letter is really emotionally comforted. And let me get you again. This is a this is a prison letter. And what I mean by that is simple. Paul is in prison. It's at the end of the book of Acts. And he's writing to the Philippians who are freaking out because Paul's in prison. The last time Paul was in prison, as far as they remember, was in the, Philippi- was in the Philippian, not the Filipino, the Philippian jail. And he was beat up really bad. And I remind you, it is a church with a lot of women. And not that that means anything except this. It seems like there's a tremendous amount of emotional care and investment these women have placed in Paul's ministry. And as a result of that, I imagine they're envisioning Paul getting really beat up, really bad in Rome. It's not exactly that situation. Paul's basically on house arrest writing these letters. But with that, Paul's going to make really clear in this letter, listen, ladies, listen, friends, bishops, deacons, pastors, don't freak out that I'm in jail. Things, this is actually for the better. This is actually better than if I weren't. And Paul could he actually speak about that even with the Philippian experience, the jail there in Acts 16. He goes, because of that situation, a bunch of prisoners gave their life to Christ, and I met my Macedonian man. So because of that, there will be a big call for the words joy and rejoice. In 1, 4, 18, 25, and 26, chapter 2, verses 2, 16, 17, 18, 28, and 29, 3, verses 1, and 3, and 4, verses 1, 4, and 10. We'll always speak of joy or rejoicing. As a matter of fact, he'll say, rejoice in the Lord. Let me say it again. Rejoice. Isn't that kind of a funny verse? Unless you ever get that where someone says, no, really, cheer up. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, really, cheer up. Rejoice. Yeah, yeah, I got it. No, I mean it. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. But there is a common problem. The same problem, by the way, we'll find in just about every letter written, and it's a problem of unity. Do you remember that back those of us who were here last week with Ephesus? Well, there is a problem there. In chapter 1, verse 9, he'll speak of it. In verse 27, he says this, Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind, Chapter 3, verse 16, he says, let us be of the same mind. And in chapter 4, these particular gals, Yudia and Syntyche, he says, I implore Yudia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. They're not getting along. But if there will be one particular issue, it is the issue of suffering and the benefit of it. He'll actually tell us in chapter 1, verse 7, that you're partakers with me in my chains. In verse 13, he'll say that the entire palace guard has now learned that I'm in chains for Christ. And he says, listen, having the same conflict you saw in me and here in me. Do you hear that? Having the same conflict means you guys are being persecuted now, too. The church that Paul is writing to is a church that's also now being very persecuted for their faith in Christ. And Chapter 2, verse 17, he says, I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Don't miss that. The point is simple. Their sacrifice had already fueled the fire. Paul was only stoking the fire greater in his experience. Chapter 3, verse 18, he says, I tell you even weeping that there are many who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, you shared in my distress. Paul is not writing to a group of people who are only freaking out because of Paul's experience. They're freaking out because their own loved ones and they themselves are being persecuted, beat up, and tortured for their faith in Christ. We'll meet two specific people, Timothy and uh, Epaphroditus. They'll both be in chapter 3. And what we're going to see is that Epaphroditus is a Philippian. Sorry, I don't know why that's so hard to say because he's not a Filipino. He's a Philippian. They had sent Paul to Paul, this guy, with some money to support his ministry. And when Epaphroditus showed up there, he was really sick. But he he did deliver this gift. And as he delivered the gift, he got really sick to the point of death. And then he got really concerned because he realized that the people back in Philippi were really concerned about his welfare. And that grieved him even more. As a result of it, Paul's like, you know what, I need to send you back there. Let them know you're okay, because they're freaking out right now over you as well. So he sends him back. And I assume, by the way, with this letter. And Timothy, he's going to plan to send, by the way, as well. Notice in the first verse of the entire book, he says, Timothy is also with him as he writes this. So let me give you a quick overview of the four chapters and let's read through it, beloved. For many of you, you may find it to be your favorite book. One is because it's short enough to actually get a grasp on. It's only four chapters. But it also has these beautiful things like he who began a good work will complete it. It speaks about be anxious in nothing, but in everything with prayer, supplication, make your request, known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Some of you, that's your verse. Some of you, whatsoever things are, and there are eight things there, meditate on these things. That's your favorite. Paul says here, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Some of you, that's your verse. For some of you, your verse is in regards to, to is in regards to, uh, as God speaks in through this, about how he can do all things through God, through Jesus Christ who strengthens him. And maybe that's your verse. But There are a lot of verses here that people really grab a hold of that are, that are verses intending on comforting people who are troubled because they're in a troubled world And the person they love so much is even getting worse treatment, in their opinion. So here it is in the simplest sense. Chapter 1, live or die. That's Paul's thing. Well, if he's going to live, it's going to be of benefit. There's benefits of being in prison. There's benefits in regards to even people who are trying to spite him by preaching the gospel for bad motivations. But in all of that, there's a great benefit. So here's what it looks like. I've lost now for the moment. There's a battle being fought. But the future benefit will be much greater. Chapter 2, Jesus' example How he self-lowered, he sacrificed, he lost, he gave up all of this stuff to fight a battle for which he won and therefore then got something greater as a result of it. Chapter 3, Paul's example. How Paul says, these were all of the things that I gave over, sacrificed to fight the battle, and in doing so, expecting a greater reward as a result of it. And then in chapter 4, well, with that in mind, let me turn it to you. What about you now? So it's like this, chapter 1, here's what life is like. We hand it over now, we fight the good fight, so that the greater victory will be later. Chapter 2, Jesus' example. Chapter 3, Paul's example. Chapter 4, now it's your turn. And that's the book. Now, with that in mind, read it with me if you would, please. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. With the bishops and deacons. Bishop, by the way, episcopus means overseer. That's all it means. Deacon, by the way, one of my favorite words, diakonos means to run an errand. So if every guy, some guy gets all hot and tidy with you and kind of goes, don't mess with me, I'm a deacon. Tell him to go get you a donut or something. A deacon's an errand runner. And the reason I say that is it's crazy. We, we have this joke. It's like you give a guy a badge and he becomes the new sheriff. You know? It's like how about we just do what we're called to. Overseers so are people who then take the responsibility of seeing over people. That's what it is. Grace you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Do you see the tenderness in this? Always in every prayer of mine, making requests with you with all joy for the fellowship of the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that He has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, for me it is right to think of you, uh, to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Oh, God is my witness. How greatly I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense in the day of Christ or till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happen to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I almost hear him being cheeky as he says this. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. first benefit of him being in there is that everyone knows that he's in chains for Christ. Second benefit, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Second benefit, it's made other people more bold. And when you get hammered for your faith and you keep a spine in it, other people learn how to stand up under such a thing. Some indeed preach Christ from envy, even from envy and strife. Could you imagine people preaching Christ because they're jealous of Paul? The idea is, we want to have a bigger church than this guy. We want to be more whatever than this guy. Some also, by the way, do it from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Imagine thinking, if I preach the gospel, this will actually make Paul suffer. Hey, if you would think you're going to make me suffer and you want to make me suffer, preach the gospel. That's okay. I'm okay with that. But the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed to the defense of the gospel, well, what then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is priest, and in this I will rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. See the rejoicing there? See, Paul will teach us in Romans, right, that the gospel is the power of salvation to any who believe. Can somebody get saved by hearing the gospel being preached by a drunk? If the gospel is the power of salvation, the vehicle is less important than the cargo. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to the earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. Oh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me make this quick comment. You will never be able to say the second if you you can't genuinely say the first. If to live is not Christ for you, Dying will not be gain. But if my life really is Jesus, Paul is not going to say, "Hear the difference. Paul's not going to say, man, do I desire to depart from this place and get out of here. That's not what he's saying. What he says is, I desire to depart and be with Christ. See, the idea of dying for him was not romantically just getting out of not having to pay bills, deal with taxes, and have to deal with traffic anymore. Paul so loved Jesus that the benefit of death was that he got to be with him. That was it. Now, that was not Paul being suicidal. But Paul's in prison, and he knows here that death is a very much a reality. I, I, just, I was by Guy's Hospital today. I've been visiting Juan a few days. And I just saw a plaque, and I'm not one to normally read plaques, but this was one of those that caught my eye. I realized that Guy's Hospital, just outside of London Bridge, do you realize originally it was called Guy's Hospital for the Incurables? I don't know, I'd feel weird being in there. Anyways, but the idea of it is, is that when you're in there, if you were in a hospital for the Incurables, would you actually think death was a reality? Paul's in prison in a place where everybody dies in prison the idea would be that death is a reality and so he's kind of looking and i I could see him saying you know what um if i die i just get to be with jesus there's no loss in that but if i stick around i'm going to do it to benefit others so lord if you want me to live make it be so that other people could be blessed by it so listen and and, and this is this is going to sound terribly melodramatic but when we've been dealing with this visa issue, that's been our prayer in the sense, Lord, if you do want us here, and we do believe you do, but if you do, please let it be just so that other people could be blessed. So he, and by the way, the verse that he gave us, just so you know, is verse 25. I'll show you in a moment. So it says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean food for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, desiring to depart and be with Christ. Let's be honest, that's far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, well, that's more needful for you. And this was the verse we were going to flash up. Being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith. And it's true, by the way. The Lord has granted us. By the way, just yesterday, we even got our, our biometric card. So we're as solid in as we can be right now. That your rejoicing for me may be abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent... I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which to them is proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake. Did you notice it says it's been granted to you? Like it's, been a, it's a gift that God just gave you, was to suffer for his name's sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Listen, if you think, if you are governed by being comfortable, you will never think that God allowing persecution in your life is a gift. But if your desire, if your heart's desire more than anything is to be like Jesus, you will actually see it as a gift. Therefore, chapter 2, There is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love. If any fellowship of the Spirit, of any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Remember that whole second chapter is Jesus's example of surrender and then exaltation. Look at what it says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. There's his surrender. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those of heaven, in heaven, and those on the earth, and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you also have obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to do To will to do and to do for his good pleasure. Now, please hear me. Some people like to quote verse 12, but without verse 13. Do you see how dangerous that is? It's still the same sentence. You're aware of that, right? The word work, by the way, is the word "ergas." It means act out. It means to be active. Do something about it. And the idea of it is we say, oh, well, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, live out your faith. Because it is God, for means because, it is God who works within you, to will to do and to do for his good pleasure. So put all of that together. God is within you, giving you a desire to do his will. And he will do it through you, so therefore, get busy. Let him do it through you. There's the idea. Verse 14, and I think probably every one of us should tattoo this verse on our heart if nowhere else. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Any of you think you've done that verse perfectly? Okay, just checking to see if anyone's better than I am on that. All right. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself may also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men with a steam, in esteem. Because by the work of Christ, it came close to death, not to guard, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now get the idea here. Remember, Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. He says, look at Epaphroditus' example. Oh, there was a guy who almost gave up his life serving just to run this errand. But man, he did it because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Chapter 3. Don't you love this, by the way? So you know I get precedent. He's halfway through the book and he starts. What is the first word of chapter 3? Don't you just love that? I mean, you know, I'll go, okay, we're going to wrap it up here. And you kind of know we may have 10 more minutes. Well, Paul's halfway through the book and he's like, finally. My brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you isn't tedious. For you, it's safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of eagle workers. Beware of the mutilation. By the way, that's those people following him around, that circumcision group, saying you have to be Jewish to be saved. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Although I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, oh, I more so. Remember how now Paul's giving us his example of how he gladly sacrificed all that he had for the better of what Jesus had to offer him. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is by the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. But let me just take that a little step beyond because I want you to recognize when he says, I count it all rubbish, the Greek word is the word skubala. Could you say skubala? Come on, say it with some little oomph. Skubala. Congratulations, you just said poop. It puts a whole new meaning behind Scooby-Doo, doesn't it? Paul says, I count all of those old accolades as poop compared to how beautiful it is to know Jesus, how excellent it is to know Jesus, how amazing it is to know Jesus. Is there anything in your life that you could look at and say, oh, man, I wish that I had that, too, compared to knowing Jesus? Oh, I count them as scubula, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ and righteousness, which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Oh, not that I have attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself as I've apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. Brothers, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have, us as a pattern. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship, and you guys know how important citizenship is living in Philippi, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my beloved, longed for brothers, my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Oh, I implore Yudhya and I implore Sintike to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who have labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, <clears throat> I say it again. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Oh, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, there's our next finally. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue or if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These things which you learned and heard or learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Did you notice Paul didn't just say those things which I've taught you do? Listen, beloved, one of the weaknesses that can be in Christianity and should never be there is that we think that everybody should just be taught stuff and not exampled it. People are starving to see examples of what it means to have eternal life, to live an abundant life. Be that example. Could you imagine saying, what you saw in me, what you heard, and what you observed? Now I want you to do that. Could you imagine what you received from me? Do that. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, you just lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to the need, but I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Oh, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well in that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also, in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Imagine, Paul had been chased out of town, I remind you. But when Paul wound up in Thessalonica, the Philippian church recognized that the guy needed support, and they sent monetary support for the guy. To make sure he can continue the ministry. Not that I seek the gift. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed I have all in abound. I am full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. A sweet smelling aroma. An acceptable sacrifice while pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need. According to his riches. In glory. By Christ Jesus. Now. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, Oh, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are in Caesar's household. Do you realize what he just told us? He's like, all the saints say hi, but especially all those guys who's gotten saved because I'm in jail here. Caesar's household He's like, you want to get Caesar's guys saved? Send a Paul to jail? It worked. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As we go to prayer, let me just say this. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are times where it says Jesus Christ and other times where it says Christ Jesus. Did you notice that? Did you notice that it kind of starts heavy on the Jesus Christ and ends heavy on the Christ Jesus? I'd like you to consider the fact Jesus, God, our Savior, Christ, Chrysos, the Anointed One. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. The Anointed One, if you will, the boss, the one who's in charge, the promised King of Kings, Lord of Lords. There's the idea. And can I just suggest to you, the when I read that, because I like to slow down and go, why that if it's Jesus Christ, the emphasis is on his saviorship, Jesus. And when it's Christ Jesus, the emphasis emphasis is on his lordship, Christ. And I like that. Because in the beginning, Paul's like, hey, I know you guys are freaked out, but Jesus is still my savior, and I desire to be with him because he's my savior. But at the end, get along and serve and live in Christ, because he's our Lord. Now as we go to prayer, Paul's life had been ravished by a fact that this Jesus died for his sins and rose again. And his life has never been the same. Because it'll tell us when we get to Colossians next week, God willing, that Christ is our life now. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, this is so much more than God redecorating the system of your life. It is Jesus becoming your life. So that we could say, to live is Christ." If I'm going to live, it's in Christ, my Lord. And if I die, then it's gain. Then I'll just get to be with him. And until then, I'm going to walk with him as much as I know how. And from that, may there be fruit from that labor. For every breath, beloved, may he use you, put you in a place where the world is transformed. God forbid that be in prison, but wherever it is, whether it be in a hardship or whether it be elevated to a palace, wherever it is, may God so do in a way so that you will be a blessing to others and others will know about this Jesus who died on the cross and rose again. Well, pray with me, would you please? Lord God, I thank you so much for Paul's example in this. I thank you, Lord, for his love for this Philippian church. For these people who he is so concerned about their concern for him. For the way, Lord, that he sees them being persecuted and he wants to make sure that they don't lose faith because of it. And they know that uh, that he's in prison and he doesn't want them to be troubled by that. But he shows them this beautiful benefit in the midst of that trial. And I just pray for us, Lord, that the opposite would be to be self-consumed and full of pity for yourself. And I recognize, Lord, that that will always be a temptation for us if we are governed by our own comforts. And if we are, then I know that no matter what the trouble is, whether that's missing a train or whether that's losing our wallet or whether that is getting milk spilled on us or whatever it is. God, it's so amazing how those things can change our attitudes if what were governed by his comfort instead of seeing it as an opportunity like Paul did in his arrest to glorify you. And I thank you, Lord, that when Paul was arrested in Philippi, it did not he didn't turn it on himself, but he turned it to you and praised you and he, and he prayed to you and everybody got saved is what it looks like. And then he gets to to Rome, and then he's in jail again, and there's all these people from Caesar's household that are saved now. We confess to you that sometimes, Lord, that when things kind of don't go right, that verse that says do all things without grumbling or complaining is the last thing on our mind. But instead of saying somehow in this trial, the world around us is going to look and see that you are real. Because happiness may not be an option, but joy will still be there. And we recognize the world will never identify joy in a situation where they can't ascribe it to happiness. But they will when they see that we have joy, even in the greatest of storms, even in the darkest of environments, even in the least friendly of situations. We can still see you high and mighty and glorify you. Lord, make us those kind of people now, I pray. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to say that tonight, Lord, as we say, Jesus, your death on the cross, your resurrection, you are so, so good. You are so good that may it be that our lives would testify to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's already suffered the loss of all other things, and he counts it all as scubla. May we have such an attitude. But to see others as precious, and to seize the opportunity to want to take them with us. So Lord, I pray tonight that we would have such a heart. In Jesus' name, amen.